The glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The Gory Days, the Gory Days, the Gory Days, the Gory Days, the Gory Days. Welcome to the Gory Days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. Kyle Leone, your host here for another week, and what a week it is. I watched a movie that wasn't a movie. I thought it was a movie, and it turned out to be a TV movie. I watched Puka. Uh, one of the movies slash episodes in the American Horror Anthology web television series. Oh boy, what a mouthful. Into the Dark on Hulu. It was the third episode. And funnily enough, I had seen two other episode movies of it prior. I'd seen Down and Pure before that. But uh, Into the Dark was a thing on Hulu that I don't, if you don't have Hulu, obviously it probably went over your head. But it was a thing that they did where every holiday they released a movie uh, somewhat loosely, sometimes very much so related to the holiday in question. Some of them were a lot uh, uh, more direct, like Puka was for Christmas, um, and other ones were a little harder to get to, like uh, Down was for Valentine's Day, and Pure was for Father-Daughter Day. Um, getting Playing fast and loose with some of those holidays, but um, Halloween was the first one on there with the body, and then they followed it up with... Uh, I guess a bunch of others. I don't know exactly. I don't have them in front of me. But anyway, Puka. Uh, so I thought that this was a movie. I don't know why. Uh, I should have recognized it right away from uh, seeing the Into the Dark logo and stuff uh, adorning it when I pushed play. But I like the other ones, Down and Pure. So uh, I don't know like if if that would have changed my uh, rating later down the road. But before I get into what the hell just happened, this movie actually premiered in uh, on December 7th, 2018, a full three and a half weeks before Christmas, just in time for the holiday season because Puka takes place around Christmas. Directed by Nacho Vigilando, whose name I did not recognize off the bat, but he, apparently his first movie that he directed was Time Crimes way back in 2007. And then he directed A is for Apocalypse, the first outing for ABCs of Death back in 2012, which longtime listeners of the Gory Days will recognize as one of my favorites from that uh, anthology. So not a stranger to anthology movies, uh, which kind of is into the dark. If like the same way that American Horror Story is an anthology series where each season is a different like setting with the same characters, each episode in this season of TV is a self-contained movie with its own universe and characters. So to pitch it as a TV series is kind of weird. They're really just all individual standalone movies. You would never sit down and go like, oh my gosh, what do you think is going to happen in episode three? Like they're not connected at all. Uh, much in the same way of ABCs of Death. It's not like one story. It's an anthology. Followed that up with Open Windows in 2014. And then uh, most recently, most recently four years ago in 2016, he did Colossal, uh, which also had its debut on Hulu. So this movie was directed by Nacho Vigalondo, as I mentioned, and written by Gerard W. Olson. Let's get right into it with my first segment. What the hell just happened? So if you haven't seen the movie, shame on you. Spoilers ahead. Major spoilers. Uh, basically spoiling the entire movie right here. Wilson, played by Nayasha Hatendi, 
is a verbally abusive professional actor in L.A. living with his wife and son. And one Christmas night, Wilson is screaming at his wife, and he destroys their tree in a violent outburst that his son witnesses. (gasps) And so he offers, in a nice abusive father way, to fix everything and get a replacement tree in a pathetic attempt to make up for it. And so they all get in the car on what I believe is Christmas night, if not Christmas Eve, and drive to the Christmas tree lot. Wilson drives like a freaking maniac, and his wife, uh, who's played by Latarsha Rose, does a great job of that, is trying to distract their son from his erratic driving by pointing out the window and saying, look at all the pretty lights. And so Wilson, also taking his eyes off the road to look at his wife and son silently hate their lives, gets into a head-on collision and gets flung from his car. His wife and son die when the car explodes, and he sees a woman in another car that's Red. That's uh, Red, who uh, is played by Di- um, by Dale Dickey, uh, does a great job as the woman across from the hall. That's her. They lock eyes, and then she dies. And I guess her partner died on impact. Red and Wilson... Okay. Wilson sees a paramedic come by with red and blue flashing lights, and the paramedic is John Daly, who plays the, uh, like, casting producer guy for the puka campaign finn and then honestly his fate is unknown i don't think he dies i think he kind of gets carted away and and that's like the mystery of the movie is like puka takes over wilson so that's the movie outside of the trappings that we get in the movie because if you've seen the movie my interpretation at least is that the entire movie is his like death rattle, his mind creating some kind of imagery that is, I don't know, it's the mind's chemicals like releasing as it dies. There's no sense to it. Maybe if you want to give a narrative sense or an emotional sense, it's the brain like giving you some closure as you die um, because God damn it, you were so abusive and such a monster that you took not only your wife and child with you, you also took two strangers and apparently you may or may not have died yourself. So God, I can only imagine the, uh, the guilt that carries with him there. And that's pretty much it. I mean, without going through the rest of his fever dream, which is that he, he's an actor and he's going out for a role in LA where he started a new life and he meets red. And the first role that he's able to get is this puka role for a, toy that apparently he's never seen and doesn't recognize but is incredibly popular and uh he gets the role and it's one of those like dancing in the mall in a big giant uh like mascot costume kind of thing but then slowly more like pretty instantly the line between where puka ends and where wilson begins uh starts to blur and all kinds of crazy stuff starts happening And that's, in my interpretation, his mind, you know, loosing uh, whatever brain cells or juice was keeping it entertaining up to this point. Um, The, like, well, so that's what the hell just happened, is that Wilson, an abusive man, got in a car accident, killed his wife and kid uh, and another person, and his brain created this fun little movie where he got an acting role and tried to re-woo his own wife back into his life 
through her being a real estate agent, single mom real estate agent, and uh, him just being a new guy in town, shitty actor who can barely uh, fund his own flat, is going to woo this real estate agent who's selling some high-end places on like in like the hills. But yeah, as far as death rattle uh, narratives go, this is one of the more entertaining ones, I will say. So that's what the hell just happened. Let's move on to my next segment, which is Screaming Themies. Uh. <laughs> this is where I talk about some of the themes that came up in this movie. I mean, the biggest one of all is guilt and regret that Wilson obviously overwhelmed with the guilt of killing his uh, wife and son, let alone his uh, these strangers that he hit in the head-on collision is so much for him that his brain creates this alternative narrative where he doesn't even know or have a he doesn't even know his wife he doesn't have a kid he's just this this like schlub who has to try his best to convince her i.e. himself that he's worthy of love and so this like overwhelming theme of guilt is basically what puka is he's supposed to be like the uh i hate to say like Id, but I guess he is and that like he's Wilson's unbridled rage that's commuted through like you know his verbal abusiveness and like his sexual frustration in um, that one scene where he's jerking off with Puka's head uh, yeah and so Puka represents a lot of different themes in my opinion maybe it's best to start with breaking down Puka because it's supposed to be like a tickle me Elmo or like a padding or not Paddington. What was it? Um, a Teddy Ruxpin, like this fun toy that not only, you know, was cuddly and cute. It's not really that cute. It also talked, but in this case, Puka doesn't uh, just talk on its own. It repeats what it hears and it just does it randomly. So you'll never know when Puka is going to say something. And that's like part of the little song is you never know what Puka will do, which is supposed to sound way more nefarious than it is. Cause I know what Puka will do. He'll repeat something. Um, and all I do know is that it's a clever writing device for when you want to punctuate uh, a character's line by just having Puka repeat it in one of two ways, his nice mode or naughty mode, which really helped me remember that this was a Christmas movie because if not for the uh, Christmas trees in the backgrounds of scenes and stuff, I would completely forget that this was a Christmas movie. Yeah, so Puka represents, like, that sexual frustration I mentioned, that guilt of uh, killing his son and wife as a result of, like, his unbridled rage. But my fiancé was really intelligent to point out that it's also the design of Puka looks very much like the grill, his teeth, his mouth, and headlights, his eyes, of a car, I don't know how much, how similarly it looks to Red's car. Uh, I, I I didn't check, but Puka itself looks a lot like a car. And in fact, even more obviously, is the red and blue when he's in nice mode, his eyes are blue, and when he's in naughty mode, his eyes are red. And the red and blue flashing alternating lights are pretty similar to police lights or maybe ambulance lights. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, what else does Puka represent? He's supposed to be at at a certain point. He's like, first Wilson can't breathe when he's wearing the suit. Then at one point Wilson can't breathe when he's not wearing the suit. And I'm trying to understand like, 
I mean, it's it's just more playing into like, oh, he's becoming Puka or he is Puka, which I think is a weird thread because it's it's not even implied. It's directly shown that Puka exists in the real world. Puka isn't an invention of his mind. It isn't a representation of the car that hit him. Even though it looks suspiciously like that and its eyes flash red and blue, it actually does exist in the real world. And that's why the like key phrase or the arc words or whatever is... Um, Look at all the pretty lights, because it's what his wife said to his son as he was driving crazy right before they died, and it's what he was hearing uh, as he was having his death rattle, is this puka repeating, as this broken puka in the wreckage of his car accident repeating, look at all the pretty lights. It was his wife's last words. But despite all that, Puka actually, so so that's what I'm saying. Puka exists in the real world. His kid actually owned one when they were going to the uh, uh, Christmas tree lot. But despite that, Puka has extreme uh, thematic relevance to Wilson specifically because um, Puka is obviously something that he bought his son in real life. So the fact that he appears here is, I mean, mostly an extension of the fact that he's just hearing him say, look at all the pretty lights as he's dying. In my opinion, I've seen some other interpretations that he's in like some kind of purgatory and it's him like succeeding in the events of this movie that result in him coming back to life or whatever and seeing the events as they were. Um, and in that way he's like allowed to pass on or whatever. But in my opinion, I think it's chemical and I think it's just his death rattle as he's seeing, uh, basically his entire life destroyed right in front of him. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I don't think he dies at the end there when, um, John Daly, the paramedic is picking him up. Uh, let's see. Does Puka, I feel like Puka's, uh, themes will come out else here, uh, in other ways. Uh, I wrote down the wizard of Oz because it's like, you were there and you were there and you were there when he quote unquote wakes up and starts to see everybody when he sees red in the car. And when he sees when you basically John Daly is like the big order. It's like, Oh, John Daly. And the things he said were somehow interpreted by your mind into like some kind of authority figure. Um, I don't know what like the hand things that, that come out. There's like a weird triangle, uh, arms out spin like an airplane thing maybe it has to do with the car crash or something I, I feel like it was never clearly defined but uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny the Wizard of Oz like oh I just had a terrible dream and you were there and you were there and you were there this isn't so yeah I'll call this a theme I call this theme hints toward the truth because it's all of the things that I noticed uh, during my watch of what I think is, you know, the world collapsing around him and trying to, or maybe not even trying to, it's just like the veil being thin um, as he's in his like delirium before he's uh, either dead or being helped by the paramedics on the street there. But as I mentioned before, red and blue being the police lights or paramedic lights, basically the two lights that we're seeing at the very beginning of the movie come pretty early um in the form of uh red's apartment um being like mostly red i'm pretty sure for a good portion of the movie and then it starts to get some like blue walls toward the end um obviously obviously puka's eye colors having the red and blue lights like i said before but during a lot of the dream sequences red and blue are like heavily used throughout the apartment and i just want to like make a little digression to say like the transitions in this movie 
between some of the scenes are really clever. Honestly, it's some of the stuff that saves this uh, and elevates it, in my opinion, from being a TV movie. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you'd watch a TV movie and either it's filmed on different quality like cameras or uh, just different. I don't know, lower budget. I don't know what it is. It's this like intangible. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure somebody who worked on independent films uh, could tell me uh, what the difference is. Like, yeah, no, we can't afford two thousand dollar cameras or something. Um, but these, I feel like it's because of the budget that a Bloomhouse gave for these movies is uh, is what elevates them to really looking like cinematic uh, films. Like you could watch this right in theaters. I feel like once upon a time. I think this is kind of a stretch, but Red, her name, her name is Red, Red's name being Red, because I, I don't think it was someone that he knew outside of his uh, death rattle, so her name being Red is a hint at Red. There was no real counterpart of her being named Blue, but uh, I thought it was worth mentioning. But other than her name, I mean, it's like in her intro, she's basically trying to tell him, like, you're not dead. I'm dead, or I'm going to be dead sooner, but you, you're not dead. It's your time. There's still time for you, which in the moment, even though he comes off as like, oh, you're you're pretty eccentric, um, is only that. It's like, yeah, it's kind of eccentric for an actor like her, um, but no, what she's really doing in my interpretation in that moment is saying that I'm actually dead. I'm dying right before your eyes uh, in my car and you aren't yet. And that's your mind telling you that you still have time to reconcile once again in your mind this horrible thing that you did. Because you certainly can't do it out here. They're dead. Your wife and kid are dead. The only thing you're fixing is in your brain. Also, I guess her getting thrown out of her apartment by Puka is a hint toward the truth um it's toward the end when the reality is unraveling um but earlier in the movie he hears her like get thrown out of the window but she's fine and it isn't until later that he like comes upon the crime scene and she's already on a car or something uh it's nuts i like i said like with the transitions and stuff some of the like sliding time dreaminess of uh the movie it does a really good job of keeping you guessing pretty much until the middle and then it, it starts to answer all of the things that you guessed uh at least that i guessed like i guessed pretty early on pretty much from the opening shot like as nice as the transition is it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination nacho when you have him laying on the ground with red and blue lights and then he sits uh, well first you have the shot of puka on the ground with red and blue lights uh, saying, look at all the pretty lights. There's clearly glass and like flares and stuff on the ground. And then you have a shot of our main character with the same red and blue lights sit up on the couch, up the lights. So now he's never been on the street. He's actually been on a couch. He's in his apartment. I'm immediately going to assume, oh, okay, this entire movie is in his brain as he dies. This will be fun. <laughs> I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> um... So who else? Yeah, his wife and son obviously being like a key in to his memory. Like at first he's like confused about his uh, son. I mean, his not son having a dad um, and starts to get like weirdly jealous about that. And then he starts to see like, oh, he he has a picture with them. And then 
he has a picture without them, and then they have a picture without him. <laughs> it's, it's super weird. The house itself that she's uh, trying to sell, I guess, is his house. Um, and the fact that he doesn't remember that is more dream death fun for him to, like, start over. I guess that's, like, the is that, like, if he can get his wife to love him again for who he is without all of the fucking anger and abusiveness, then he'll be redeemed. But yeah, no shit. It's the, it's the abusiveness that makes you shitty, man. (laughs) Of course they'd love you without the abusiveness. You didn't have time to get abusive with them. You have time when you have a wife and a kid who's like probably like seven or eight, that's time to build up some long-term resentment, man, where you can scream at your fucking wife on a Christmas and know that she's not going anywhere. Like that's abusive monster, man. That's who Wilson is. Uh, and, And his brain has told him that, well, if he can make it up and just get her to go out with him one last time in some kind of contrived Groundhog Day state, then he'll be redeemed. Um, and I don't even think he does that. <laughs> it's it, at the end, he more just like reveal. It's revealed to him of who he actually was. He doesn't get the girl. He's punished. He's punished with the truth of of what he's done. Uh, and look at all the pretty lights being, um, like I said, the arc words throughout the. Uh, I was going to say show, but through the episode of Melanie's last words. And that's all of the themes that I thought of for Puka. I'm sure there's some more themes. If you think of any, I'd love to hear some, but I'm moving on to my next segment, which is Mystery LLC, where I get to ask my lingering questions that definitely were not answered, frustratingly enough, by the movie. This is going to be a short one, as I really only have two questions, and one of them I already asked. Uh, The first one, which I already asked, was... Puka, does he or does he not exist? I think we see at the end that uh, his dream made Puka like into some kind of like bigger sensation than it was maybe, but I think Puka is just a toy in the real life. So uh, I didn't mean to answer that question for myself, but apparently I did. Uh, the next question I had, which is not answered, is did Ty, Wilson's son, speak to Wilson on the phone from Wilson's death hallucination before they got in the car to drive to the Christmas tree lot? So that question is phrased kind of confusingly, so let me explain. And it's it's shot very confusingly that when Wilson, at the very end, when we're seeing what's real and he's, like, smashed the Christmas tree, he says, Wilson says to his family, we're going to go get some Christmas. We're going to go get a new Christmas tree. Come on, everybody. Before they get in the car, Wilson's son, Ty, answers the phone. The phone rings, and Ty answers it, and it's a voice And Ty responds to it and says, we're going to the Christmas tree lot. And then Melanie comes over and hangs the phone up for him. Earlier in the movie, in his, like, death rattle, in Wilson's death rattle that that the movie, the, the entire movie basically is, he called Ty's phone and spoke to him. But his son said, we're going to the Christmas tree lot. And in that moment, he tried to, like, warn him, I think. And so I'm confused. Did 
Did Ty somehow communicate to his son from the future through his brain? I don't care. I don't care. Um, okay, so <laughs> uh, let's see. My final thoughts here. Like I said, I treated this initial watch uh, and my subsequent review and opinions based on the idea that Puka here was a film. But once I realized it is a TV movie, I feel like my perspective changed. And <laughs> unfortunately, it won't change back. My critiques, I felt like were so concrete, but I know I was viewing it through like the film lens, the cinematic <laughs> lens, if you will. So viewed through the correct TV movie lens, I think Puka's actually pretty fun. Um, but as a movie, it's pretty bad. <laughs> and I feel like it's weird to look at a movie one way and feel so strongly about it and then learn that, oh, no, actually, that was a low-budget movie. And suddenly it's like, oh, well, that was pretty good for, for what it was. It was like, oh, that was a foreign movie, or oh, that was a, like whatever the, the qualifier is. Um, so it's like, for me, it was, oh, that was a TV movie. Wow, for a TV movie, that was really good. But as a regular movie, it was not so good. Uh, which leads me to my final uh, segment, which is my rating, where I rate the movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best you think I'd, I'd have done more than 50 episodes of this by now um so as a movie if this was a movie in theaters uh or even on like blu-ray uh i would have to give this movie one thumb unfortunately i guessed it right away and despite uh some wonderful performances by john daly and others uh, i would only give this a one but as a tv movie i'm going to have to give it a two that's right, a whole two thumbs. Uh, it's a fun movie. I really like the like slow. I mean, even if you guessed it like I did, it's still fun to see how the movie is going to play on that. And at least during my watch, I was I was looking forward to how right I was and how each like peel each layer that was peeled back I would see like oh okay oh that's what that is oh that's what that is okay <laughs> um but still to get like the final reveal I wasn't like I didn't know that it was uh red in the car I don't know I don't know what I was thinking but um it's it was fun to get uh, little surprises like that and I award my thumbs to characters in the movies of course so I'm going to have to give my two thumbs to Let's see, who am I going to get my thumbs to? Oh, I got to give a thumb to John Daly. He's so good in this movie. He does such a good job of setting the tone early on of, like, the weird mysteriousness of Hollywood. I mean, it's played in a really weird way. John Daly is the part that saves it because fucking... Uh, Niasha Hatendi as the actor he does as as Wilson he does a good job overall with the character but man as an as like the actor within the movie Wilson he is so freaking on edge and so wary of every situation so unnecessarily so like if he's going to be an actor in Hollywood the things he's going to be asked to do in a casting session are way stranger than raising your arms above your head that was the first thing that I was laughably upset about this uh, TV movie was where 
Wilson is an out-of-work actor. He really wants a job, and finally, he's got something. Yeah, it's a little silly. It's a little weird. It sounds like it's like Puka. What is that? But um, he's, he's got a shot. And the first thing after he does one word of the monologue he's been practicing, uh, they ask him to raise his arms above his head. And he's like, what, what is this shit? What did I get myself into? I didn't sign up for this. And they're just asking him to raise his arms. And then it's like, okay, now put your hands like a triangle. And he's like, you want me to what? Uh, okay. And uh, John Daly comes in and starts like, uh, like saying like faster. And he's like clapping with him. And he's like, faster. And he's like, good. That's it. He's the one. Send everyone else home. I was like, oh, wow. John Daly does a great job of just instilling that sleazy, He's like, he could be the fucking devil for all I know, but God, I need this. I need this opportunity kind of guy. Uh, this like, um, what do you call it? Loan shark kind of uh, air about him. This uh, untrustworthy energy, but uh, preying on desperate people. So I got to give him a thumb. And I'm also going to give another thumb to the casting director, Diane Sellers, who I have to imagine was channeling every other casting director she's uh, been in room with. Because <laughs> like... She's so good about being so dismissive of him and just being like, okay, yeah, no, next. And like flipping through other papers and like, um, uh, I have to imagine, I'm not an actor. I've never been uh, in an audition setting by myself like that. It sounds so goddamn nerve wracking. And yet the idea, personally speaking, ah, I'm not going to go down that route. So I'm going to give the other one to uh, Diane Sellers. And that's Puka. Thank you for listening to uh, me, Kyle Leone, here on The Gory Days. Don't forget to uh, shoot me a message on Twitter or Instagram at The Gory Days. Or check me out on, what else is there, Twitch. <laughs> As if. Stay scary out there. The Gory Days. I didn't sign up for this.